Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of about a dozen years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike T. Nelson, uh, PhD, exercise physiology, master's in mechanical engineering. Uh, I'm also an instructor for exercise phys, and I like picking up heavy stuff. And rock and co-host for Iron Radio. That's right. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what's up, everybody? Matt Holmes here. Um, TACWADS.com, strength conditioning coach for everybody, military, law enforcement, and first responders. Awesome. Yeah, that's going to be a fun uh, topic uh, for today. Hey, we have a little bit of news, everyone. Uh, this runs the gamut from listener mail to stuff in popular magazines to uh, Mike's got some science news for us. Uh, let me start with uh, some listener uh, mail. Strength and muscle sport news. Uh, Paul was asking what Mike referred to before we hit record as the the holy grail question, which is, you know, can I gain muscle and lose fat uh, simultaneously? Uh, so here's basically what this says. Uh, good morning, fellas. In short, is body recomposition possible beyond novice levels? If so, what are your thoughts on the implementation and the practicality, etc.? I ask because since January this year, I've gone from 165 to 207, so put on a fair amount of weight there. Uh, I did about a month of cutting and um, stopped at 200 pounds. My progress in the gym seemed to suffer. So then I switched gears to eating maintenance calories while continuing to strength train three to five days per week uh, with the goal of slowly losing fat and staying at 200 pounds. Uh, I've been doing that for about six weeks and have been floating around the 200 mark, uh, plus or minus two pounds, uh, for my weekly morning weight. My clothes do seem a bit looser, and my strength is progressing slowly. Uh, are these changes solely due to me having trained less than a year, or is slow recomp a viable tactic at all levels? I appreciate your time and great content on the show. Well, my response to Paul was, was pretty brief, and... That's why I thought we might be able to address it here. All three of us could actually address this. I'm sure we all probably all have some thoughts. But I basically said gaining muscle simultaneously uh, while losing fat, that becomes very tough, I think, beyond the novice level, at least in people who aren't using chemical assistance of some kind. You will see people, you know, when they're starting truly from square zero, you know, they're stimulating muscle hypertrophy for the first time. They're burning calories beyond, you know, uh, daily activities for the first time so you can see people uh, gain some muscle and lose some fat uh, i'm not sure they're doing it at exactly the same moment every day but the point being is uh, i th my opinion is that it's more common in novice and it really is sort of that holy grail uh, for the intermediate or the advanced uh, lifter uh, and partly that's because I just think it's very hard to be in a calorie surplus and a calorie deficit at the same time. You know, you're like you're trying to bend the laws of physics, you know, 
because typically I think if you're natural, especially um, adding mass requires extra calories, not just more protein, you know, not just more building blocks uh, and losing fat when you're in a calorie surplus can be very tough. You know, so people will do all kinds of things like periodization within a single day. I mean, that's one of the things that I try to do when I competed. I'd get up in the morning and I'd do some fasted, you know, light um, exercise, purposely try to almost create a fat calorie drain, and then later in the day eat more calories when I was lifting. You know, but again, it's – I think it's very tough. I don't know. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I would agree that especially for a more advanced lifter, someone who's not just starting out, I think trying to gain muscle and lose fat is – yeah, it can be done in a few people, but I don't think even just setting it up is the best way. So I get a lot of emails, and I've had a few clients who that's their goal. And I always try to put them down the road of just pick one or the other, mm-hmm. and let's just do it for a set period of time. I think you'll make much better progress to say, okay, I'm going to try to gain you know, more lean mass. I'm okay gaining a few pounds of fat, or you know, I'm going to stay just perfectly neutral, try to increase my performance, keep my body weight about the same. That's okay. Or I want to do more of a fat loss specific thing. I don't want my performance to utterly tank, but if it drops a little bit, I'm okay since my goal is kind of fat loss. And what I do with people is if it's even a shorter period of time, I'd much rather even do four or eight weeks of one of those as opposed to two months of, well, I really want to gain mass, but I want to be lean at the same time, you know, because you kind of I think end up shooting yourself in the foot when you, when you do that. Yeah, Phil oh, Phil has Phil. said in the past, um, the man that chases two rabbits doesn't eat, yeah. you know. Yep. So, I don't know, Matt, what do you think? What's your experience with that? Um, well, a couple points I was thinking with that is the biggest one is, hey, you're saying, if you're a novice, just focus on, on one. Don't try and go between the other because all it's going to do is delay the progress over time that you're going to want to have. So pick one or the other and – the strength is going to happen. You know, I've noticed that with everybody myself, like, you know, if you're wanting to lose weight, but you still want to put on size and gain strength, as soon as, like you said, you start to cut those calories and you lose some size, that's going to change the leverage of how you're lifting. And it's going to cause just changes within your body. So expect that to happen. And then it will slowly go back up. But it's, I think the biggest thing is, you know, where you're at, if you're new, don't, don't try and jump in there with guys that are more advanced that are doing it and have don't overly make overly realistic goals on what you expect with that. It's going to take a lot longer than you really would think. If you if you're really doing nothing at all, you might actually gain some mass and lose some fat at the same time if you just stick to some kind of general program. You know, you're going to be getting stronger because you're you got nowhere to go but up. You know, you might lose some fat, but I hear what you're saying, Matt, that if you're trying to chase two things specifically, you know, beyond just doing some kind of general conditioning period when you're first getting into things, yeah, that's that's too complex, you know. I have students yeah. all the time, they bring me workouts. What do you think of this workout? I'm like, I'm just going to X off like 90% of this, you know. <laughs> keep, keep these multi-joint compound movements, you know, you don't need – concentration curls and you don't need to work on your real adults let's get rid of that (laughs) you know and some of these very specific isolation things that you know and then they also want to get lean you know what i mean it's almost like it's too complex or just excited you know and i'm not saying that's true of the listener i mean because he's got a good point you know how much of this changes 
as you get more advanced. And I think that's why I think we're all saying you periodize. You know, Mm -hmm. once you get intermediate and advanced, you can't expect to make a certain amount of leanness progress and muscle size progress steadily and regularly. So you periodize. You put on some weight and then you hopefully take mostly the fat off and leave the muscle you built behind, you know, that sort of thing. But Yeah, if you have an, a large um, excess amount of body fat too, you're going to lose it when you are still a beginner because, like I said, you're going to be exercising, you're going to be doing conditioning, strength training, putting on more muscle mass. So you're going to get both at the same time. But again, that's getting more specific on the person's body type where they're at compared to someone that's like me that typically has less body fat. But if I want to cut a couple percent down and still put on size, it's a totally different game. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I think it was an astute question. Uh, I've got a silly bit of news then, and then Mike's got some science news here. This is from Popular Science, October 2014. It's talking about sugar and how much sugar people eat around Halloween. So I thought this was timely. This... For those of you who who look at labels and you count grams of carbs and this and that, get this. 600 is the grams of sugar uh, in the candy collected by the average U.S. trick-or-treater. 600 grams of sugar. Uh, And they've got a neat little graphic here. It's basically showing that that is the equivalent of uh, one, two, three, four, five, six cups of table sugar that they sit down and eat. That is insane. Uh, That's crazy. And it says, let's see, um, it gives some examples of getting sugar for an entire day, an entire daily dose worth of sugar. And it shows like five little Reese's cups, those little tiny mini Reese's cups, uh, a handful of those little mini Butterfinger candy bars, you know, half a dozen um, Starburst candies. And that's your sugar for the day. You know, and they sit down and feast on 600 grams of sucrose. It's outrageous. To me, I don't know, to me that's uh, unbelievable because it's amazing to me this food industry can cram so much sugar. I mean, you know what I mean? A day's worth of sugar and half a dozen Starburst or so? That's just amazing that they can, like, melt down the sugar and those food technologists, you know, cram that much sugar into such a tiny space. Yeah, from a pure volume standpoint. Yeah, exactly. It's almost <laughs> defying the laws of physics. High pressure candy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but that's all I've got. I don't have any uh, recent studies or anything, but Mike, I think you do. Yeah, I got one quick one that I always uh, flip through studies, and I always like it when researchers ask pretty cool questions. Um, so this question was, and the title is, does a mental training session induce neuromuscular fatigue? This is by Roseanne from uh, Medicine and Science in Sports and Exercise, most one of the more recent uh, editions. And what's interesting is if you look in the background literature, there is literature to support, even for strength training, that mental training can induce uh, strength. Right. So in essence, either it's first-person visualization, you're visualizing yourself, say, performing the deadlift, or even third-person visualization, or almost like a video. Right? You're watching yourself perform the lift. And there is some literature, not a ton, to show that just different types of imaging um, does seem to help uh, increase lift performance a fair amount. Now, it doesn't quite match, of course, doing the actual specific lift, but, you know, something to think about for people who maybe have maxed out, you know, three, four, five, or whatever days per week of actual physical training, you know, perhaps some, you know, mental training may, may further and help it. Um, but what they're asking here is that does this mental training session, does it actually induce any 
fatigue at the neuromuscular level, which I thought was an interesting question because it kind of gets at, you know, what is actually going on when you're doing uh, mental training. Mm -hmm. um, but what they found in the short version was that um, whether used alone or combined um, does not seem to adduce any additional neuromuscular fatigue uh, despite uh, repetitive action. So this study at least shows that at the neuromuscular level, we don't really have any increased fatigue uh, from visualization, which if you think about it, may actually be a good thing, right? So maybe that's evidence to say that you can add a more uh, mental training session, just visualization work, without having to worry about any sort of level of fatigue associated with it. Actually, that's very clever, Mike, because lately I've been very interested in how much uh, – like I'm looking at caffeine, but how yeah. much of it is purely cognitive versus motor, right? Yeah. So, and you're suggesting you can have lots of central cognitive kind of, you know, activity, and it doesn't equal motor fatigue, neuromuscular fatigue. So, yeah, they they seem to be, and I've looked at that a fair amount too. They seem to be pretty relatively separate, but when you do a physical action, it's still debatable how much of one is each. Right. So the, the right. classic studies they do is they put you on like a biodex or something to measure output of, say, a leg extension. You do as much contractions as you possibly can. You can't do any more. Then they come along and they basically zap the muscle. Whoa, you can do more, you know, <laughs> right. leg extensions again. So trying to sort out what is a central effect, you know, from primarily the brain versus a peripheral effect that's actually going on at the muscular level. Yeah, right on. You know, I know a friend of the show, uh, David Barr, he's, yeah. he's always sort of uh, bitching about how, you know, the central nervous system as a concept is so overplayed. You know, you hear people talk about it like it's one thing, you yeah. know, and it's there are so many things. I, I just think people need to get a basic picture and not like an Obama national federal funded map of the brain, but <laughs> motor cortex, you know, sensory cortex, descending spinal tracts, you know, uh, some of the reflex loops, you know, yep. that are more spinal in nature, Yeah, you know, and then not just say, oh, you burned out your CNS or because like what you're just saying, what that study you just shared, that suggests that people who say burned out your CNS, that really doesn't make much sense because you're, you're left saying, well, well what? what part you yeah, know and that's the whole thing that bothers me too it's like oh well it's it's neural fatigue i'm like well you know there definitely is something there and we've talked about the studies you know andy fry did a long time ago where he had only lifters come in and do you know max reps of very very heavy weight you know one two rep our you know weight was it i think 14 days in a row we had him do it yeah Almost it, it two was weeks, i think yeah it was a little, several days yeah yeah and yeah you definitely see you know basically their willingness to train drops off their performance dropped off speed dropped off muscularly not much really happened to them so i definitely think there's something there but i think those two systems are much more closely tied together than what the average person would say is oh it's just just cns fatigue it's like oh well how, how, how did you come to the conclusion that it's just CNS fatigue, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. Well, sorry, Matt. We're just going through a little bit. Thanks for your patience. No problem. So uh, maybe tell listeners uh, what you do. How did you get into it? You know, go way back if you need to. Um, okay. I'll kind of start start with some of that then and hopefully not make it too drawn out and confusing. Um I guess I'll kind of start maybe from the beginning. That's kind of the easiest, and I'll try not to, again, draw it out. But um, 
you know, I was always a, uh, I've always kind of been taller than everybody, but I was really tall, the tall, skinny twig like person growing up and, uh, really intimidated, shy, um, kind of got picked on. And I didn't realize until later growing up that, you know, I was kind of bigger than everybody, maybe not size wise, but taller than everybody. And then I kind of started getting into working out, you know, after I saw muscle mag and saw these guys, you know, like most people I'm like, wow, like how amazing these things, you know, that guys can do with their body and how big they are. And, um, kind of started working out and it gave me more of a confidence boost, being more comfortable with myself. And that was about maybe when I was like 15, I got my first like weight set for Christmas at home. And then I was working out at a gold's gym sometimes when my dad would go started doing that for a little while. And then, um, had some family stuff go on when I was a kid and then got into doing drugs actually for a while. So I got out of working out and just kind of started to not care. And that went on uh, for a while, actually. Um, you know, I've kind of told people and recently been a little bit more open about being heavily, heavily addicted into drugs from pretty much anything you name it for multiple years. And then kind of came all the way back around missing going to the gym. And that kind of was my rehab, I guess you could say in a way, like I didn't go to rehab, I didn't go to NA or do the 12 step program or anything like that, which is kind of the most common. My rehab was kind of a trial and error. You know, I kind of had missteps along the way trying to do it myself, but the gym is really what got me out of that. And then from that built into, you know, I want to start training people because people started to ask me questions and I got certified, started working for a couple gyms, um, and then opened up my own gym, you know, a few years later after working for different chains, small private training facilities, managing a few, started training people at parks from average Joe's, doing all women's boot camps, and then um, opened up my own place for a little while as kind of a the more unconventional style training that, you know, like Mike and I know, or, you know, you guys with do more strong man type yeah. stuff, <laughs> you know, more the, <laughs> the, uh, the underground stuff is, you know, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, did that for a little while and loved it, you know, made a lot of mistakes along the way, you know, being a young kid. Cause you know, I was still in my early twenties. I'm only 28 now, so I'm not old by any means. But I made a, a lot of mistakes on that. And then when the economy crashed, I'd always wanted to uh, do the military thing. A couple times I'd looked into it, but I was still having my issues of doing drugs when I was younger. If I didn't do that, I probably would have gone in when I was you know, 18, 19 years old. Mm -hmm. um, so it kind of was something that was still in my mind. And I thought, well, what a better time because you know, business wasn't doing well. And I kind of was like, okay, you know what, let me close up shop put all my stuff in storage and I went and joined the army, <laughs> you know, so it's kind of a, a weird way of how things have worked out over the years for me. Um, so got in doing with that, you know, still liked training, saw a lot of what they were doing and disagreed a lot with it. Luckily there's changes that are going on within the military now that they're getting better at it, but being such a large organization, it takes a long time to make changes unless you're in some of the more smaller special ops units that kind of have 
they can do their own thing and it's not big army or, you know, whatever branch that you're actually in. They still do a lot of things the old way when to me being in there, I was like, wow, there's a lot of stuff that could actually be changed with all of this to make people perform better by not just pounding them into the ground all of the time and running miles and miles and miles mm-hmm. and doing all of the stuff that they do that is creating more injuries or people aren't progressing as fast as they actually could be and you know all these different things so after being in the military for a while um you know I had some family stuff and was able and I actually got out a little bit early than uh, the end of my contract and then uh, missed it though um, and kind of joined and went in doing the contracting thing for a while. So did that, you know, went to the Middle East a few times, did that for a few years and, you know, kind of circled back around to where I am now. And I always knew, even when I was, um, active duty, um, in the 82nd that I wanted to eventually still open up and have a gym and start training people. Cause when I was in, you know, I started training people, I tended to be a little bit stronger than most of the average people, you know, whether it was in basic or the company that I was in and then being overseas contracting, you know, pretty much, you know, as most guys know when you're overseas, there really isn't a whole lot to do unless you're out on missions doing work and go to the gym. Like you really don't have much of time to do anything else. So the gyms are always packed. So started doing that and actually experimenting with myself, trying to find, better ways to train people without doing the typical what you see most guys do overseas that just do the bodybuilding thing you know a lot of guys get really huge some obviously are taking steroids even though they won't admit it but it's definitely widely used um overseas okay um so seeing that wanting to still have satisfy those guys that want to get bigger but also have them perform better and prevent a lot of injuries that were happening as well. So experimented with myself, had a lot of guys that I was working with contracting that I was coaching them, giving them programs, and they all did extremely well, whether it was, you know, one friend of mine that I got started, he's lost almost, I think, 100 pounds by now. Another one was like me, tall, skinny. And started to actually put on size and get a lot of strength gains. And so kind of just experimenting a lot within myself and other people. And now that I finally kind of left and walked away from it, even though every day I still miss the military being overseas, um, you know, I, I kind of wanted to come back home and really dive back into doing training. Because over the years, everybody's always told me, like, that's your thing. That's what you need to do. Train military, train military. And for me, for a while, I was like, you know, who's going to listen to me? I'm not less, you know, Delta Force operator, high speed, you know, ninja guy. So who's <laughs> going to listen to me? You know, that's that was what I thought for a while. And uh, years later, you know, everybody that told me that now is like, hey, that's what I told you. I'm like, yeah, I know. I know. Like, I hear it all the time. I should have done it. I should have listened the first time. And, um, you know, that's kind of where I'm at now. And for some people, you know, I use my story of being, you know, within the military, being a drug addict and coming to where I am now. And it kind of actually started with some friends of mine that were getting ready for um, special forces assessment selection course. And they were like, hey, can you help train me? 
started writing a program with them, experimenting, making a few changes here and there, and it's kind of turned into what's what TACWADS is now. And, you know, I've got guys that are ex-spec op veterans, active duty, kids that are not even enlisted yet, but they're getting ready to go in because they're going into the Ranger Regiment or they're going to try out for Special Forces. So it's kind of been a, a long journey, I guess you could say. Um, but it's doing really well, and I like a lot of what I've put out there. It's different than what most people have seen, and it's actually working. You know, it's not – there's pretty much not a lot out there. It's either bodybuilding or CrossFit that you see, and okay. that's always a thing. Like I'm not against CrossFit in any way. I think there's a lot of things, but the typical training for CrossFit, I've seen a lot of people actually get hurt out there doing it or they increase their performance, but there's parts that are missing within that. So it's kind of turned into, like I said, what it is now and still some experimenting. There's always time for growth. And as you guys know, you experiment, make a change here, make a change there and always progressing and improving. But that's kind of my personal story and where I'm at now. And, you know, it's expanded to police officers. You know, I try and target to, first responders, pretty much anybody that depends on their body to work in any unexpected environment and to come home basically at the end of the day, whether, you know, you're a firefighter or you're a police officer or you're out there getting shot at and, you know, you got to pick up your buddy and carry your buddy out of the line of fire or whatever it might be, you know, as we say, you know, um, train smarter, operate harder. So it's not just pound your body into the ground as a typical mindset. It's training in a smart way to avoid injury, to always pretty much be at 100% and come home at the end of the day. Right. Okay. Well, I'll tell you, we're going to go to break in just a moment, but I have one question for you, Matt. This, as, mm-hmm. you're, as you're telling your story, is, do you think it was the training or the military that was most instrumental in bringing you from what – you were before with the problems with drugs and everything uh, to now, because it sounds like you've got, you know, your shit together. So it was, it was it the love of training and muscle mass or strength or, or do you think the military and all that discipline and just removing yourself from the situation? What was the biggest factor for you? Um, I would say the military did play a part in it, but I would say more so the training did because it's not just the physical, but as you guys know, the mental aspect of it as well, which is what we put into our programs as well as getting ready mentally for the things you're going to go under. But I would say definitely the training is kind of what pushed me out of that to, you know, push myself to the limit, to give myself goals and get away from that kind of environment and take care of myself in a better way. And it just, it gave me, that challenge and took, I guess, like I joke about it, of one addiction to another, but mm-hmm. it's a lot healthier of addiction now, and I enjoy it a lot better because I'm a, I'm definitely like an all or nothing kind of a person. So it went from that, and it's just into training, and you know, I I enjoy it, and it's definitely that's turned around to where I can help more people from that. Awesome! No, that's awesome. We've had a couple of guests with that I think. I don't know. There's a definite draw 
you know, I don't know if it's the love of it, uh, whether it's strength or size or functionality or uh, be just being a badass, whatever it is, there's a very strong pull. Because I imagine the pull's got to be very strong to get someone away from drugs. You know, it's oh, got to be yeah. a hell of a pull. It's huge. Okay, well, let's go to break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about um, using military training type principles, uh, you know, in all manner of training. So we'll be right back. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, If you simply Google CRC Press in protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for $69 US dollars. So that's 31% off the $99.95 uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. $69, I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it. Uh, lower down the page, they have 180-day rentals and one-year rentals. So you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So – Uh, Whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Weekly Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Hey guys, Dr. Mike T. Nelson here on Iron Radio with Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and our guest today is Matt Holmes from TAC Wads, and we're talking about military-specific uh, fitness and actually how that can relate to the average person in the gym, you know, looking to get bigger and stronger and different aspects of that. So one of the questions I have, Matt, is that, so what can sort of the average meathead, and I mean that actually in a good way, um, who is not in the military, what, what would be some key principles that they could use and apply in the gym from you know different things you've learned or used with military? Um, a big thing, and this plays in a lot of programs that I see, whether it's 
tactical fitness or average guys that I see in the gym is a lack of focus on strength training. You know, they, they want to get bigger and they want to lift more, but they don't really dive into the strength aspect of trying to develop the maximal and submaximal strength. So it doesn't just play well within the military, but everybody, you know, I have, I had this conversation with someone the other day, you know, trying to teach someone how to bench better and get proper body position, foot position, all this stuff to, it's a full body lift, but you see all these guys that they're lifting their feet up. They're not setting their body right. And they're like, Oh, I want to, I want to lift and get big. Well, do this because you can lift heavier and you can get stronger and you'll still get bigger at the same time. But people are not doing that. So that's a big thing that has worked well within the military stuff that I'm doing that can work well with people outside. Because I do have probably even half of the people I train right now are just average Joes, civilians. You know, they they just want to perform the best and be the best like human or whatever you want to call it that they can be they don't they're not looking to go into a war zone or they're not a police officer they just you know they it's the same kind of people that want to go do the spartan races and things that's a common goal that i hear from people they're like ah you know i want to complete a a spartan beast or whatever a tough mutter but they want to just be stronger healthier feel better and not be tired by the end of that or every time they walk up a couple flights of stairs. Yeah, and that's that's an interesting aspect too is that do you, do you think that now nowadays that there's a, a lack of ways for people to challenge themselves? Like in the past, it used to be, oh, well, you know, run a marathon. Well, a lot of people that doesn't appeal to at all. Um, I did the RKC like years ago, and it was interesting that for three days, it's, you know, pretty heavy exercise, that type of stuff with kettlebells that a lot of the people there were not fitness instructors, not even the fitness field at all. They just wanted to see if they could survive the three days and pass, you know, like you're saying like the Spartan races are big now and that type of thing. So do you think there's this sort of uh, intrinsic need that seems to be more male dominant, but that sort of a, I need to prove myself type thing? Um, I think so. Yeah. Like it's, it's interesting. You brought up the point that I, there isn't a lot of ways to challenge yourself that's kind of publicly out there. And I think that's turned into, it's kind of the norm. People aren't mm-hmm. challenging themselves. Even when you go into a gym, they're not challenging themselves. They're not pushing hard. Like, you know, they're talking half the time where they do a set and then they rest 10 minutes or something before the next one, or they're just kind of pedaling along on a bike or walking on a treadmill where I think that's why for one, again, you know, the CrossFit, which is one of the things that I think it's done extremely well for the fitness community as a whole it gave that need like you're saying with people going to the rkc just for the challenge and seeing if they can do it that's the average crossfitter these days too any box you walk into they're an average person you would see on the street and they it's fun for them obviously the community's huge in that but they they like to challenge themselves it's something fun and i think that's why you know the tough mutters and you know, the Spartan races have become so popular, not just within the, in the States, but worldwide as a following is it's giving someone a challenge to do for themselves and 
that they just weren't getting before. It's like there wasn't something out there. So there's that need, but people have fallen out of it because they haven't had that. So I think that's a huge thing of why, you know, when I do the marketing for the TACWADS is it's not just for the military, but for anybody that wants to really challenge and push themselves and not just let kind of life go by, you know, enjoy life and feel better. And whether it's being able to play with your grandkids and living a longer life, you know, having that being healthier and challenging yourself, it, it plays for everybody. You don't have to be, you know, a green beret or Navy seal to push yourself in that way. Hey, can I ask you guys, either one of you guys, a question then, um, Can you explain to listeners and even to myself, I mean, I know stuff like TSAC is a big certification now and all that sort of thing. But when you say tactical, um, functional training, tactical training, can you, Matt, let's start with you. But can you define that a little? I mean, is, is this more like agility and flexibility? Is it power? Is it keeping your heart rate up? What do you mean when you when you say tactical training? Um, let me think of the best way to kind of, cause I'll, I'll explain what I look at it as. Cause I think if you had asked between me and some of the other people that are out there doing it or a regular person, you probably get similarities, but totally different answers. I think at the same time, Okay. um, for me, you know, when I think of tactical, you know, when I, cause I call a lot of all of my clients like tactical athletes, but they don't have to all be athletes. It's just some a something I call all of them to make them feel good, and that's to me what they are. They're tactical athletes. They're not going and competing or anything like that. For the tactical training, it is it's all of those that you kind of mentioned in one. You know, of okay. being mobile, being able to function, because that's obviously a huge aspect. Like if you're training but you can't function and you can't move around, it kind of defeats the purpose. So having the carryover to a real world scenario, whether if you're a civilian and something happens and you have to be able to, whether it's a natural disaster or a car accident or something that you come across, being able to perform in that moment that you never know when it's going to happen. So prepare for the unexpected, whether it might happen or it might not. Um, or if you're in the military, same thing, being able to perform in any unexpected environment, which that goes in with the training as well that the military goes through, not as far as fitness wise, but training over and over and over for every scenario and being prepared for the unexpected is huge. Okay, and so let me ask the, you, let me ask real quick then. Mm-hmm. So, so how much of this is barbell work? I'm just trying to get the basics here. You know, barbell work versus okay. like odd lifts versus calisthenics you know what i mean kind of kind of all of them like i'll I'll give you a base for for our training like we do there is a huge power lifting base to it to get that strength aspect up because having the maximum submaximal strength that's the huge piece that i've noticed is missing in most of the programs Mm -hmm. not training in that you know 70 to 95 100 percent you know one rm range is missing for a lot of people. So having that raw strength base, and we use the bench press, the deadlift, um, strict press, and squat. So we use all four, not just the the regular big three. We throw in the standing press because 
that is a huge carryover as well to sure. picking things up, lifting them overhead. And you see that all the time when you see these guys carrying these logs, doing yep. log PT. It's a huge it's a huge thing. And as you guys know, being able to stand and pick something up, like that's it's a common movement that you do in everyday life. So having the barbell movements, having the accessory stuff to bring up those weak links. And then the odd object stuff, I love sandbags because, for one, they're cheap for people to make. And they have a huge – it's it's not a barbell. It's not evenly weighted. The sand moves around. It's really uncomfortable to carry and lift doing a sandbag carry or a sandbag clean and press compared to a barbell clean and press. And it's, and it carries over to picking a person up or picking up another odd object that you might have to in the field. And then doing a lot of more of the calisthenics work because having that relative body strength and power as well is going to carry over, especially if you're going through these selection courses or schools, there's a lot of calisthenics involved with that. So that helps as well. And it's more of a well-rounded with all of that and the conditioning, how I said the military does just for they've gotten better at it, but they just make you run and run and run. And for one, you're not really doing a lot of that in the field anyways. Yes, it's good. Yes, it helps build the mental toughness because I hate running. It's the most boring thing, so that's a mental challenge for me there. <laughs> yeah. uh, but doing mixing that, we have probably half of our conditioning, cardio, what you want to call it, is more the longer distance because, again, we do have a lot of the military, so they're going to be doing five to – 12 plus mile ruck marches so they do have to prepare for that but you don't have to just do distance 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 doing more of the conditioning doing hill sprints doing shorter distances for time and all these different sprints and body weight you know high intensity interval there's so many ways that you can go about it that you're not tiring out your body to where it's going to make an effect on your maximal strength lift lifts or other areas of the complete program are going to decrease because you're spending so much time running. You're actually getting better at the running. And I experimented this a lot with myself where I didn't do any five mile runs for a while. I just did all shorter distance. And then the most I would do is a one mile. And I kept my, I either kept my normal five mile time or I got better when I even tested it. And I didn't even run a five five mile that whole time. So I kind of tested that out to show people of like, Hey, you don't have to just run distance to push yourself to get better at distance. You can still throw those in, but do shorter specific based high intensity runs and sprints and working on your maximal lifts. And it actually will decrease that because your power output is less over that longer time so you don't get tired as easy because of all the other things that you're doing that are basically complementing that. And my real part on that too is that I, I think if we go back and look at physiology in general, I always like to look at it as very survival-based. Like your body has mm -hmm. all these different you know things and they're redundant, they're backed up. They're, at the end of the day, your body is just really set up to survive at pretty much all costs, right? So I think the, the military fitness, a lot of that too, is that 
if you strip out the stuff that just has to be done because of a test to be completed, it's kind of the really cool way of looking at your body from survival physiology, right? So if you end up in a, a bad situation, can you pick up something heavy without having to stretch and warm up for 45 minutes without injuring yourself, right? Can you go through maybe even on the nutrition side? I did a presentation a couple of years ago for DARPA, who does all the advanced technology research for the military. And no doubt I was by far the stupidest person in that room. It was just freaky. Um, but they were very interested in metabolic flexibility from a nutrition side, right? Because periods of, you know, lots of incoming food versus periods of not as much, how can you, you know, sort of do that in a survival-based and have it be, you know, performance-enhancing for people? Um, so I always use that. I think that's interesting that, you know, it, it all goes back to you know, basic physiology. So even if you're a, a power lifter in the gym, with a lot of guys I've worked with, just getting them out of even sometimes sagittal plane stuff, not for the majority of their movements, but for just enough to make sure they don't get those common, you know, reoccurring injuries that tend to happen when you have a lot of the same motor patterns, which you need to have some of the same because if you're a power lifter, that's your goal, the bench press, squat, and deadlift. So you have to do a lot of specific work. But I think there's a few other things that people can add to their program that in the end will make them stronger and allow them to perform a little bit longer too. Okay. I, I, um, I was going to say a good point that you brought with that too is how you said being able to not have to like, okay, hang on. I can't pick that up right now. You know, when yeah. you're in the middle of combat, like let me warm up a little bit. Yeah. Being able to go and grab it. And that's where a lot with the recovery and spending time with the recovery and your mobility and being able to do those things just fine. Like I had that happen the other day. I was at the, at the gym. I wasn't even training lower body or anything, you know, it was an easy day for me. And, um, the kid was doing some deadlifts and I was like, Oh, Hey, you mind if I give you a couple tweaks on your form? Cause you're losing power about halfway through. And that's why you're struggling. You know, I didn't warm up, whatever. It wasn't anything heavy as I think maybe 350 or something. And I went up and I'm like, here's what you got to do, you know, do this, this. And I just, picked it up off the ground. It wasn't like, hang on, let me warm up a little bit yeah. and then I'll show you what you got to do. You know, I just came, here you go, did a couple reps, showed him again, did a couple reps. And I was like, okay, thank you. know, see you later. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. That's very illustrative of what you're saying there. You know, like you can't say, hang on, let me warm up. I don't know. <laughs> it's just, I, I think a lot of people, they just don't think about that. You know, you take for gra yeah. granted that you're, you've got this set program on a piece of paper and it starts with a warm up and then you move to this and then you pyramid up with the weights, you know, and how, how different a mentality it is to just go from zero to a hundred with nothing, you know, and be as, at least be as ready as you can. I mean, I know you want to get to the point you're minimizing injury with a lot of this stuff, you know what I mean? But you're so well trained, right? That I would think your body doesn't get injured then, you know, which in some ways is the opposite of this, uh, you know, recent trend. There's so much functional fitness, uh, like sort of gone off the, the rails, you know, with all intensity all the time, like we were talking last week, but in this way, you're more ready for it. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's my bias with people is that I actually will measure that. So like, let's say they're, you know, max and the deadlift is 400 at some point, I want them to be pretty good on most days to walk into a gym and, you know, pull at least 315, 350. That doesn't mean they're going to walk into the gym and do that every day. It doesn't mean they're not going to do warm-ups. But 
I want them to have that sensation of, and I don't ever want them to miss that lift. I don't ever want them to get injured. They shouldn't even be remotely close to that. And then I find that that's a good way of just measuring their overall movement ability. And I think a lot of times people in the quest to get stronger at all costs, and I've done this self to my body and injured myself in the past, that if it takes you 45 minutes to do a max lift, that's okay. I understand that for competition and that type of thing. But I want to see with no warm up a much, much higher percentage of that over time. Right. So that tells me that most of the time your body is operating a little bit better. And I think what a lot of times we see is the opposite. We see, okay, I got my deadlift from 400 to 500, but now it takes me an hour to get to 500 or to get to 400 only took me about 10 minutes. Right. So I think we always have to keep in mind what, what is the cost of performing that and what is the trade off? And personally, where do you want to be on that spectrum? Right. I think a lot of times people just don't even think about it. So if you can deadlift 500, but you need an hour warm-up to do it, mm, transfer of that, I'd say, is probably relatively low. And if you don't care about transfer, it doesn't matter to you then. you know. But if you're in the military or other areas where you want to use and demonstrate that strength within a very short period of time, then that becomes a much higher priority to you then. This is sort of hitting home with me because recently I've been talking about trying to toughen myself in a way. Uh, yeah. you know, there was a comment on iTunes a couple of months ago, and – the guy said, you know, the Iron Radio guys seem to be obsessed with weighing 270 pounds and basically being powerlifters and that sort of thing. And from that perspective, I can – I get what you're saying, Mike. Like you might yeah. need 45 minutes if you're going to ramp up to an 800-pound squat, oh, yeah. you know. But right, what's your goal, you know? And if yeah. your goal is maximal functionality, you know, like lately I've just been trying to move reasonable weights – Um you know, in bench, pull, squat, those sorts of things, and do it all in the same workout. You know what I mean? So in that way, I'm almost – now, I'm just using barbells and dumbbells. You know what I mean? But it's not unlike what you guys are saying. You know, it, it's that general physical preparedness kind of thing. It's strength, uh, but it's also power, right? There's always that time component, you know, uh, involved with it. So anyway, yeah, yeah. And there was one thing I wanted to bring up with you guys too, that yeah. <clears throat> is a common, and this plays in with, I think more so in ma males than anything. And a large part of it within the military community is just the mindset again of the old school mindset of always going like a hundred percent hammering yeah. guys into the ground, pushing yeah. them and pushing them. And there's a time and place for that. You know, when you're going to a school or a selection course, they want to do that because they want to see who's going to quit, who's going to make it, you know, who's because a lot of that is more yeah. mental than anything. And <clears throat> guys take that in with their everyday training of wanting to go 100% all the time. And that's been probably my biggest battle and why guys are getting injured or they're when they go to actually perform, they perform shittier than they thought they were going to do because they're always at a hundred percent. And that's again, that military mindset. And I've had that. And partially with this of, again, the powerlifting thing that has played into with a lot of what I've learned and what I put in with the program is how you guys know with powerlifters, they rarely ever train at a true one RM. Like when they go to a meet, that's when they're actually going to break a PR and they're going to hit they're true 100%. Mm -hmm. They always train, you know, at a 90 or 95% pretty, 
pretty much max or if they're going for 100%, it's a comedy and resistance, so it's not a true one RM. And I've put that in with the military training with guys of like, you know, we want to train at a 90% or 95%. There's days where it's like, yeah, as we call them like soul crusher days because you're just going to kill yourself. That's just part of it. And part of that is the mental aspect of the training, getting you ready for when that does happen within the training so you're prepared for that. But that's maybe a third or less of the time. The rest of it is we want to push you to, you know, a 90, 95%, keeping a little left in the tank. So when you actually are going to school or you are in a life and death situation, you can perform at the 100% because you haven't been hitting it. You know, you're, you are able to go that extra 5, 10% that you need to really push yourself. Because so I have guys that are like, oh, you know, I got to the end of my training. You know, and I felt like I could still do more, so I did more. And I'm like, no, like, just do what it is. We're not trying to kill you. Leave a little bit extra because it's going to help when you hit your next session or the other next session. Like, don't do it. And I've had guys that pushed past it and they ended up hurting themselves or they went to go actually to perform at 100%. And again, they didn't do as well as they thought because they were already tired, mm-hmm. you know, so – Keeping yourself at that little extra left in the tank of a 90-95% is a huge thing people are missing that makes a big difference in the long run when you actually have to perform at your ultimate max. Right, and I appreciate it's hard to do that. That's a lesson that it took me to my middle age years before I could really do that. And partly, you know what, like you were saying, you start reading these you know muscle magazines and stuff and – the bodybuilding mentality of trash and destroy and annihilate and your pecs and this and your lats and you know what I mean? And then, yeah, uh, the whole concept of work out almost suggests that you're going to exercise until you're out of everything, you know, instead of leaving a little bit in the tank. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. I think that's the, to me, that's a better definition of discipline, right? Discipline is literally having the discipline some days of just, you know, for people that listen to this show, not going to the gym and recovering, right? Because you're just going to go in and it's going to be a crappy performance and you may have made yourself kind of, if it's a skill like strength, may have made yourself a little bit weaker. You know, you've delayed recovery for a couple of days and versus, you know, only going to 90, 95%. I mean, I remember listening to Ed Cohen on here talking about, you know, he didn't ever really miss lifts and training. And to him, that was the discipline of leaving those one to two reps in the tank but when it was meat day, like Matt was saying, now is the time to to do the best you can. It's not to display that all the time every single day in training. Yeah, right, right on. No, those are good lessons. And yeah, and I agree. Ed Cohen, there's been a number of guests that we've had over the years. And the, Matt, you're just echoing the theme of I think a lot of smart people, you know, is leave a, leave a little in the tank. You know, that's mm-hmm. just and uh, sometimes that's not what people are doing in the, in the most current trend. You know, so yeah. I guess it depends on your goals and, and that sort of thing. But any tro- training program, I would think some element of pull back on the reins just a little. Yeah. yeah and, you, and you can't peak every single day. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Well, we are out of time, fellas. So um, thanks, Mike, for getting Matt for us. <laughs> yeah. And where can the listeners learn more about you, Matt? Um, everybody can always just go. um to the easiest place where all the links are is just go to tacwads.com, T-A-C-W-O-D-S. 
got all the free wads. You can email me on there, and then there's links to our Facebook page on that as well. So that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, everybody. We'll be here next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.